Minnesota is home to two of the most livable cities, the most beautiful natural scenery, and one of the most industrious creative cultures in the world. In recent years, a thriving democracy of checks, balances, and an adversarial media have been replaced by political rivalries and corrupt officials more focused on delivering for donors and interest groups than honoring the public trust. Increasingly, local media seems to be in lockstep with this enterprise. In the spring of 2020, this system broke down and sent shockwaves throughout the country. Minnesotans Ask is not about politics. It is about the breakdown in transparency and accountability to the public. We are asking what can be done to bring sustainable balance back to Minnesota government. Minnesotans asks uh, Val, how are you today? I'm doing really good. Oh, how wonderful! I'm doing really well, and, and especially well because we're really pleased to have uh, Kate Minow with us today. Uh, Kate, it's uh, really good to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. I'm glad to be here. Uh, and Kate, for anyone who doesn't yet know, is the new executive director of the Citizens League. So congratulations uh, for that uh, for that wonderful role that you have now. Thank you. Uh, Kate, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, the, the passion that you have for, for public policy and, and how that developed uh, and, and how it finds you where you are today. Sure. Sure. Well, and thanks again. It's nice to be able to do a long form chat like this. I think it's a rare, a more and more rare thing in our world. And so I appreciate the time that y'all put into doing these. Um, yeah, I'm honored to be at the Citizens League. It's something special to be taking a leadership role of an organization that has an almost 70 year history and just knowing that long, um, just the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who have been part of the Citizens League's efforts and been members, donors, supporters, part of the Citizens League family over those 68 or so years, um, and to step into that legacy, including the two former uh, executive directors that I am personally friends with, Pahua Yang Hoffman and Sean Kershaw, and just to step in to follow them in this role is really exciting at this time, nonetheless. So my... Uh, background. Prior to joining the Citizens League, I was working at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs at the U of M for 13 years. And I was working in the center there, that's the university's outreach arm in the space of policy and politics. So it was all oriented toward external connections with businesses, with legislators, with nonprofits who were looking to get more engaged in public policy work. And that was the role I held for the bulk of my time. I've been living here in Minnesota about 15 years. What was beautiful about that role is that I had a chance to meet and develop those connections across all those different sectors and types of folks in Minnesota and across partisan differences with legislators and folks in normal life roles that just were not just both sides of the political spectrum, but in kind of almost like a three-dimensional <laughs> uh, differences of ideologies and opinions and perspectives on politics and uh, policy issues. So I bring that with me to the league and it was one of the things I was the most excited to bring along is for me, it's all about people. Um, I, I kind of joke that I fell into policy work by accident because my true passion is people and particularly creating and being part of creating environments where people can connect, learn, uh, be inspired and be mobilized and motivated to 
take to take action, but even to operate in a little bit of a different way based on what they've learned from others and from the information that they are able to glean um, through interactions with others. And so when I bring that and when my passion is to see those types of connective energies translated into impact, when you start doing that work, you make your way into policy because that's where real impact can start to happen. So my background um, prior to um, coming to Minnesota had been in higher education and college student services, essentially, because it was the people in the environment doing the learning, doing the connecting. But the translation to impact piece was missing for me until I started working um, more in in this kind of role at, at Humphrey and now at the league. So connecting and learning, you know, it's interesting as I hear you say that, because it seems to me that's what at times seems frayed right now. Uh, First of all, our willingness to learn from others who Mm -hmm. disagree with or who disagree with us. Uh, And second, um, us connecting uh, in a a real way. And and how have you seen that evolve even since you've been involved? I know you spent 13 years at the Humphrey, but uh, what are some of the the challenges that you have seen develop over those 13, 13 years and how does that inform your role now? Yeah, sure. I think what's challenging about learning, particularly learning something that challenges our own perspective that we hold, is that there's this fear lying underneath that if I give space to a perspective that's different than mine, that it is dangerous to me and that it's dangerous to the view that I hold during stressful times, which these have been, were even before 2020, we were in intensely stressful times. And now it's even more so. We are, each of us are clinging to the things that are making, helping us make sense of our world and the day-to-day that we're trying to navigate. And so when, when invited to be exposed to a different perspective or a different way of seeing things, it's really difficult and it's frightening and it, it rattles our core. There's a reason why like we, we all develop kind of a way of seeing the world because it's, it, it's how we make sense of our world. The, you know, one of the things that is the most difficult though, is that, um, is the, the coming together of different perspectives and ideas that are really core to who people are. And this really emerges with some of the racial equity issues and some of the other challenging equity issues that we're seeing come to the forefront is that it's the clashing, not just of opinions, but of uh, identities of who I am and am I considered worthy as a person and as a citizen and as a member of this community. And so it's not just a debating of opinions, it's a clashing of who am I, who are we, my community, whoever I am part of. Um, And that's really challenging to navigate through that. But I, what I do when things start to feel overwhelming and when folks are like, how can we, how can we make sense of this? It's like, you got to bring it down to localize it and bring it down to our own neighborhood, our own communities, um, the people we see every day. What is the sphere of influence that each of us has in order to, 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 to operate and, and that's what we need, I think, to lean into to have those learning moments, connecting opportunities. It's more of a day-to-day local experience rather than a, I'm panicking about national politics. It's like we have to be looking at our neighborhoods and our communities where we live and then just working outward from there. Well, and that's where actual change happens. Yeah. 
yeah we can't we can't control the federal government but we can control you know our yeah. own lives and a really good way to get through fear is to exercise one's own sense of agency and ability to do something yeah yeah and, and so interesting i i suspect uh kate like like uh like me people might refer to you as a policy wonk at least at some point <laughs> I, I, I called that so many times, and, and and when I think about political debates, you know, as someone who maybe is center left, but I, I think, well, what's the proper role of government? Uh, how much regulation do we need? Uh, you know, certainly some of those issues, um, but that's not where we're having the challenge, really. Right. We don't get to that. I think is the point you're making. You know, un, un, until we start seeing all of us as as being a part of the solution and being connected to one another, we don't even reach the merit of the issue. It seems that's right. And and honestly, don't tell anyone. This is told as a secret <laughs> <laughs> in your podcast. Uh, but I don't actually consider myself a policy wonk. I consider myself someone who's really passionate about what how people are engaging with. A process and with policy and with each other. For me, it always comes back to the people. I'm pleased that I was invited to lead the league at this time because I think that's one of the big transitions that the league needs to make is from kind of a historical framing of let's just put our own selves aside at the door and come in and just think about and talk about these topics and figure things out. We can't do that anymore. It hasn't been working to say, I'm going to set myself aside and just talk about um, the, the, the um, you know, the, the details or the uh, content without bringing my whole self into it. You know, I think the power of some of the recent work the league has been doing, whether it's the work on minimum wage from a few years ago, uh, the work that we're embarking on now with the city of St. Paul on um, community first public safety, is that we're saying you are, you're bringing yourself to this work. If you are a person who is in a community where you don't feel safe, if you are a mother of black boys, if you are um, an individual that has to walk down the street by yourself and, um, and uh, feel afraid, if you are an individual who has mental health challenges, like all these things are real and they're all part of people's experience in the world. And you need to bring that into the room to try to solve, to even define the problem. It impacts policy too. And then, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the league, you know, I, I think this is a, uh, this is a adventure ahead for the league is to move from kind of that, like smart people talking about stuff to real people engaging in and defining and solving stuff. So I kind of uh, cut my teeth before I was on the city council of Minneapolis, uh, in a neighborhood organization, like so many folks that get involved. And that was the thinking then that, that, you know, the quote unquote experts at City Hall mm -hmm. uh, didn't have necessarily have all the answers. So the people actually living in the community, the people dealing with issues every day, uh, those are the ones that can, can percolate up with ideas. And I, if I recall, I know uh, one of your predecessors, Sean Kershaw, would talk about how, you know, how can everyone really see themselves as a policymaker in a sense? Yeah, um, and, and of course now we have a whole spring of populism that hates experts, right? Right. And while why that's extremely frustrating to to many of us, yeah. there's a sense to which people feel like we've been left out of solving these problems. Yeah, yeah. And that's not a yeah, and I, yeah. 
that's a that's the reason that the league has uh, has a portfolio that goes beyond just the kind of deep multi-month policy work the league has developed over the past um, number of years. You know, the kind of one-off policy topic series. You know, where it's a um, informational or educational conversation on a certain topic and then folks can come and learn ask questions the reason the league has moved into this the capital pathways internship program which is helping students of color pursue uh, paid internships to pursue careers in legislative work is because part of the job is opening doors and creating more of an ability for more people to see themselves in public policy and see their place and to change the way we think about who is a policymaker. So really this evolution of the Citizens League is necessary. We just live in a different era than, than we did. Um, but then of course the question ultimately becomes, how does this translate to public policy? Yeah. yeah. How is there um, a sense that it's that the legislators and, uh, and, and folks that actually make the laws and, and even local city councils, that they're going to respond uh, uh, to this type of really grassroots organic citizen involvement. How do we create that sense of empowerment? Yeah, I think more, I think more um, policymakers in formal roles are starting to see that as more important as well. You know, and I think Mayor Carter showed that by coming to the league for this project. He knew that in order to make a change in uh, non-emergency 911 calls and how the city responded to those type of calls he knew he couldn't just make that change or tell you know or, or have the council make that change he needed to have community buy-in of how that would look and how it would unfold and i i really respect that move that he made and he pulled together his team pulled together an incredible group of over 40 people that we just started convening two days ago. Um, That's really exciting, Kate. I want yeah. to talk more about that. Of course, my own city is Minneapolis is uh, addressing those challenges in different ways. And we've had some conversations about that, but I was really encouraged to see uh, that, that St. Paul was working with you. Tell, tell us a little bit about how that came to be and, and what exactly you see the, the, the league's role in those conversations. Sure. The mayor's office was pretty clear that the goal that they want to get toward is finding an alternative response model for level four and five 911 calls. Now, these are there are five levels of 911 calls. Um, one, two, three are the most, um, you know, folks are in danger. There's violent uh, potential or uh, injury or kind of a more extreme situation. Four and five are things like um, folks with mental illness, folks who are intoxicated but not causing any major harm. It could be something like car alarms going off, loud parties, barking dogs. These are a lot of things where we've seen increasingly that having a car full of armed officers coming to the scene is not necessarily the best way to approach those issues. And increasingly folks reckoning with the fact that um, communities of color, particularly African-American communities, have been um, really have, have seen the worst of that type of response to issues that could be handled uh, in a different way. And so the mayor said, um, 
you know, let's find a way to get a commission of people who can navigate through this and look at best practices, look at alternatives, look at what could be feasible for this and spend five months together working on it and come back in May with a set of recommendations, both for how to deal with those lower level 911 calls and also to potentially set up an ongoing office of violence prevention for the city. Who are the people in the group, the 40 people? Are they business owners, community members? What is that comprised of? Yeah, it is all of the above. It is folks, I mean, it's incredible. It's an incredible, it's 48 people. Let's see, there's pastors and imams and um, business owners and community activists and law enforcement and representatives from the different cultural law enforcement associations like the Hmong Peace Officers and um, and uh, Latino Peace Officers Associations. And it, excitingly enough, and this was the best part, I think they have students, high school students, like five or six Good. from St. Paul who are involved in that as well. So we met with them, they all introduced themselves and it's incredible. It's gonna be a very transparent process. We are live streaming the Zoom meetings. We are also gonna be publishing a meeting minutes that don't identify people by name with their comments, but really go through all the content that's been explored at that meeting. And then all the materials are gonna be available through the Citizens League website as well. Awesome. Hey, yeah. this is incredibly exciting to me. So actually, anybody that wants can actually watch these meetings for example yep, it yep. You, go to, you go to the citizens league website and during the meeting itself which are every other approximately every other wednesday from nine to noon when you go on the site there'll be a live youtube link to watch it awesome. i think what has happened now we've seen it is so often a group of people get together in private sometimes as legislators but not always just a, a group of folks Everything is behind the scenes and, and, and quiet, and then nobody wants to leak out what they're saying because, well, gosh, you're going to get in trouble. I'm going to say something wrong, and we're still negotiating. It, it seems to me that's a brave thing for everyone to do, but really important in terms of transparency. That's part of the uh, work ahead is to rebuild that trust because the trust has been so damaged in institutions and governance Everything. i mean there's a, place for, there's a place for closed doors and private conversations to be sure but there's also work that needs to be done in rebuilding folks faith in the ability of their friends neighbors and community leaders to really do this work and policymakers. i mean I, i've gotten to i've had the fortunate i've had the fortunate opportunity to get to know a lot of legislators and policymakers over the years and you know they're they're actual people <laughs> with 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 uh, interests and families and pets and uh sweatpants just like all the rest of us and you know everybody's just trying to do their best and um the narratives that are out there really create monsters out of people that are often not it's not true but I'm 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 an idealist. I see the best in people, and I, I give people a lot of benefit of the doubt. So uh, that's probably. Well, I, and I would tend to agree with you. I think Val, you would. Absolutely. I, I, I think the I, I think a lot of legislators, for example, and and you've gotten to know them. Uh, I've gotten to know some of them, as well. But I think they're really frustrated because they're 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 trapped in this hyper partisan system. Yeah. Yes. It does seem to me also, and I. I, I it, it seems to me that we have a leadership 
top heavy type of governance and maybe it's not unique to us but that everyone is supposed to follow their caucus and they have limited room to move in terms of their own initiatives and just as what you're doing is empowering a broader group of people um I, th I think the legislature should learn that it seems to me there are a lot of good intention folks on both sides of the aisle whose voices really are not getting heard the way they could be, whose ideas are not being heard the way they could be. And I'm not sure how we make that happen again. Uh, but a lot of those conversations we're not seeing in public between different sides where agreement could be reached and, and things always seem to be at the leadership level. Um, so I'm not sure if the Citizens League can solve that, but it does seem to me that we've got some systemic issues at the legislature in terms of how decisions are made that we need to look at. Yeah, there definitely are some process challenges there that even the legislature, them, the legislators themselves are starting to look at. I mean, a year and a no, a year ago. Is that just a year ago? Man, 2020 has been quite a year. <laughs> <laughs> About a year ago, uh, our team at the Humphrey School hosted, as we do every year, the, this is the past we, me when I was we over there, uh, hosted as we do every year a retreat for the state legislature at the Humphrey School. And they spent half the day on legislative process reform talking about what parts of our process are calcified and, and inefficient and not accomplishing what we want. And these are legislators of both parties. And I see that they're engaged in that conversation again during this legislative session. So it's hard to do, it's hard to change the system that you're in, but I do see it, but, but who else is going to do it? Like, unless we like literally just go to the moon and start a new country, you have to change the system that you're in. And this is where I, I feel the urgency and the, the desire to just start over with some of these systems that aren't working, but there's no way to really do that. You have to somehow change the system that you're in. And so the work that I've always found really energizing is, is um, creating opportunities for lots of different types of folks to understand how the systems work so that they are then empowered to unpack them and restructure them. You know, the best thing we could do about a broken system is to get people frankly in it who can then change it from the inside when you need those new perspectives like you coming into the league like looking at things with fresh eyes yeah there's something to be said for that i mean we were even just looking at our website like okay why is it like that you know because like, why is that one page like that but little things like that i mean it matters when you can get people coming in from outside um yeah. i think the challenge for elected representatives is that is that their constituents every day are making requests and demands of them that are endless absolutely endless and not understanding why it is that that progress or that action can't be completed and so especially i think a legislator who is elected from a, a, a community that has like historical underrepresentation in the state legislature uh, or in city council or what have you you know it's the the disconnect of like okay I, this person was elected in order to give voice in a greater sense to folks who are overdue for a greater voice in these leadership roles. But then it's, but then you are in a system that is slow moving and difficult to change and just navigating that tension. I don't envy the type of pressure that is on our legislators and elected officials. Um, my predecessor, Pahua Hoffman was speaking at a conference a couple weeks ago and she had a great comment about, um, particularly with legislators of color 
or indigenous legislators pushing the right ways with them, but also giving them a little bit of cover sometime. This is, she was speaking to leaders kind of in nonprofits and business to kind of, and advocates to kind of get like, give a little bit of cover, a little bit of grace to those legislators, knowing that they are really working um, in a really challenging environment. So I look back at the history of the league and mm-hmm. uh, when I was involved in trying to change Minneapolis City's charters, one of the folks I talked to was Ted Colby. Yeah, I had a 90 minute chat with Ted a couple weeks ago. It was great. We had a long Zoom call. Ted is wonderful, but you won't have less than a 90 minute chat. <laughs> That's great. Uh, but, but it was really interesting because uh, Ted was a, was has been around long enough that, that, that he was around when the league started and, and when the first thing the league worked on uh, was actually charter change in the city of Minneapolis. I actually kind of want to geek out on this with you a little bit because I, sorry, did you have a question? And then I, I have a geeky question. No, no, no. I, I, I'd love to have you jump in on that because, but, but it goes to, it seems to me that we do have systems and, and I would argue that Minneapolis is one of them mm-hmm. uh, that just aren't working and need to be changed. And it's so hard to change systems. And it seems that the Citizens League is a good place for that kind of thinking, not necessarily what decisions get made, but what are the processes through which those decisions get made? Yeah. Being an honest broker in those conversations. But if you have thoughts about Minneapolis, I'd love to hear them also. Well, you know, I moved to Minnesota about 15 years ago and I've always lived in Minneapolis. And I always heard Minneapolis has a weak mayor system. St. Paul has a strong mayor system. Could never get anyone to understand or explain to me to help me understand why that was. And then Sean Kershaw, lo and behold, explained in one sentence last week and tell me, so maybe you can um, take this, I'll tell you what he shared with me and help me understand if this is the case or go deeper, that in St. Paul, that all the departments report up to the mayor and then the city council just has, um, they are able to set policy and budget and in Minneapolis, the different departments report up to different council members and some to the mayor, but no one's really in charge of everything. (laughs) Is that right? It seems right. (laughs) Boy, we can have a whole other show and maybe we will. Uh, It's very, very convoluted. Quite often it's, it's referred to as a place where there are 14 bosses for everyone, but the history of Minneapolis shows, and in my view, even the tragic death of George Floyd and some of the police issues shows that the executive function of Minneapolis is not working. Mm -hmm. Uh, That what you end up having are a lot of conversations and a lot of political noise, but the changes are talked about, but not implemented. Uh, because there's no one place where the actual obligation to execute the policy lands. And so I, I started seeing this more and more in my last couple of years, which is why I called for a strong city administrator, but some kind of strong management function uh, desperately needed. Um, so if we look at Minneapolis, we look at the legislative process and, we, and others, we, we, we look at how hard it is to change those systems. Mm-hmm. You talked about Mayor Carter and how he's coming to you for that kind of help. Um, but how do we create the systems, you know, to your point when you started this, that are going to bring people together, 
you know, that, that are going to make those connections, um, but then are also going to create accountability so th that things actually get implemented and, and restore confidence. Folks seem to have so little confidence in our institutions right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I feel like the dog has some really strong opinions about this. My dog has some really strong opinions. Yeah, I, I say that particularly to the regular guest on our show. Uh, usually, as a reminder for me to stop asking so many questions, you don't. Have to... uh, He's like, I'm going to tell you about Minneapolis. Right. Yeah. You can just understand Bark. I could explain everything. So, there are so many that that I think share your passion for this. Yeah. And, you know. How do we kind of get over the hump so that we change our political culture? Yeah, you know, I, you and I, I think, are so blessed to know so many people, and 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 Val as well, that that this is how they see the world. People, mm -hmm. all the polls say people want to work together, they want to solve problems, and and yet, what well, we we don't get that. So so how do we create collectively among all of of us? How how do we turn the corner on this? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I knew the if there was a simple answer to that, then we'd have it all figured out already. You know, I think it's it's a small step by small step. And I, for me, a big part of it is creating opportunities for folks to interact in a productive way with folks who are from a different perspective or have a different worldview. So on the mayor's on the, the um, St. Paul Public Safety Commission, that is going to happen because when they did their introductions, 48 people you know, vastly different backgrounds, some people who were immigrants, some people who were fourth generation St. Paulites, you know, the, themselves, I, I should clarify, I should have said people who themselves were recent immigrants to the U.S. within the last 20 years, and other people who were fourth generation um, St. Paul, for example. Uh, and so when, and I think it takes repeated exposure and it takes time, you know, it's easy to hide behind Twitter or, I mean, I, I use Twitter, it's fine, it has a purpose, but it's easy to hide behind some of those things and not really ever more deeply engaged. So if we are able to create, we, the Citizens League and we other entities in our communities are able to create opportunities for folks to actually sit down over time, be it virtually or in person, um, and really start to hear others' perspectives and do some actual work together toward a certain goal that's a step forward. And every one of those people knows tens and hundreds of people in their network. And even if, I mean, imagine if those 48 people are going to say, okay, let's say we do a great job on this and it's a productive process and we get to a good endpoint. That's going to be the vision that I bring. Um, and not everybody gets everything they want, but we get to a point where everyone's like, you know what? I trusted this process. I trusted the, um, the good faith of all the people who came into the zoom room and the citizens league set up a good, um, a transparent experience for us to go through. So every one of those 48 people tells people that they know that there is a way to engage in these issues that matter and get to a place of moving forward. That's really powerful. Well, and it also, I think, helps for them to see what the process is because as citizens, a lot of times we have no idea how or what kind of impact we can actually have. Yeah, so for sure. I think that empowers people when you're giving it, you're kind of guiding them through the process. Yeah. And it is known that whether it's talking to my eight-year-old about his YouTube, you know, how much time he has on his iPad or talking with people about policy, you know, a lot of people will say that 
even if you don't like the outcome, if you feel like the process was fair and you were heard and you have the ability to express your needs and desires and they are heard and respected and taken into account, you are, oh, you might not love the outcome, but you're, oh, you're better with it. You'll accept it. Yeah. You'll accept it and you'll, you'll honor the fact that people um, did good work through that. Yeah. And so it's really imperative that more opportunities are created for that type of engagement and the citizens league is working in that space um and and we'll continue to look for way, ways that we can be most like add the most value and not be redundant i think the challenge with a lot of policy issues is there's already so many entities that are playing not playing working in the <laughs> in the space of housing or education or healthcare uh, and or transportation. Like you can't just be like, we're here too. Like, let's do some stuff. You know, you have to actually have a role. Um, the, an organization like Citizen League has to have a role that is meaningful. And if not, we're just not, we're not going to just go in and make more noise. So you recently had a great event that I was able to take in and that's where you celebrated some really citizens leaders, folks who did make a difference. Uh, yeah. Tell us some about that it, it, and it's some of the people you honored because it kind of speaks to what you're talking about. People that, that uh, in ways that really made a big difference, but at the local level uh, uh, really embodied what the Citizens League is hoping to see. Yeah, and I'll give a shout to the Citizens League team, my now colleagues, who back in May started talking about this idea of could we and, you know, this is in the first couple months of the pandemic, you know, could we highlight and honor people who have been working during the pandemic, going above and beyond to, to help out their neighbors and doing something that the Citizens League can do, which is kind of reframing that and defining it as this is civic engagement. This is, um, this is being a leader. So we started putting out a call for nominations and reached out to some of our friends in different parts of the state and different partners that we've worked with and put it out publicly. And I will tell you that um, everyone was so eager to nominate folks in their life who they felt had gone above and beyond. And, and one operational trick we used was we made the nomination form really easy. It wasn't like a big thing with lots <laughs> of paragraphs. It was like, give us three sentences and we'll roll with it. And I loved that event. It was so... I loved all the nominees and I loved that conversation because it was so energizing to just see that, yeah, it's, it's not just this, it's not a big thing. It's not a special title. It's like every day just showing up and, and trying to do something good and knowing that you model for others, how to be a contributor in your community. It was really lovely. And I think we, we found it energizing I think it was what people needed right now, but I think it will be continue to be what people need for next year too. So the league wants to do it again awesome. and, and honor even more folks next year. And, and it kind of goes to two part of what we're looking for is redefining what it means to be a leader. Yeah. We have a culture that looks at, at position and status and fame okay. and all those things. And how do we, because that will also motivate people to be, see themselves as leaders, I would think. Yeah, and it, it also is a more inclusive practice of you don't need to have on your high heels and your suit and have a fancy, you know, role in a fancy office. Like there's different ways of showing up and making an impact. And it's a more inclusive way of looking at uh, and defining and helping people define for themselves who they see as leaders in their lives. 
so one of the big issues in our state is this um, rural urban divide yeah mm -hmm. which is, um, when, when i was on the city council i had a really great experience with the mayor of wilmer and, and the league of minnesota cities uh, had a, a program where where you would partner up city council members or mayors from different cities oh that's neat and, and so when we went to Wilmer and I looked at the main street of Wilmer, I looked at their immigrant businesses. It looked just like the ones on Central Avenue in Northeast Minneapolis, for example. Yeah. But um, what role can the Citizens League play? I know you're obviously, you're geographically in the metropolitan area, uh, but how do we get past this really unfortunate divide we have right now? And, and, and what role might the Citizens League play in that? Sure, for sure. We are pleased to have already done some work in that space. There was a um, some statewide efforts that the league was involved in around water. And uh, that was some conversations around water around the state that they had uh, a year or two ago. And we are currently developing a new series for 2021 in partnership with the Center for Rural Policy and Development. And we'll be rolling that out. And a part of the you know, you said it a couple of times, the rural urban divide, and that's become a really handy narrative that's been used to talk about how different we are politically. Yes, the voting, um, the way that folks vote is looking very different, but there's some opportunity to talk more about the policy issues and community issues that intertwine different parts of the state as well. And uh, truly our fates are intertwined. And the series that we're going to be exploring is going to be looking at different policy issues like education and mental health um, and what have you and kind of looking at how is this showing up in rural how is that maybe different or similar to how it's showing up in urban areas one of the great things about having a virtual functionality right now that folks have kind of figured out in the last year is that um, while there is something lovely about going to wilmer as you say and there's something you can't replace that experience but for something that is more uh, informational and just kind of trying to build a, a narrative of connecting. It's going to be really easy to host an event. Maybe the speakers are from Brainerd and that's the topic, but folks can come from all over the state, including the Metro by clicking a button. That's really a beautiful thing. Yeah, really true. And, and I was going to, to, to ask you that before our time was up and, and mm -hmm. what, a, what an unusual time for you to start your position. Uh, yeah. in someone in your position would be constantly meeting folks for breakfast and and, 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 and you know, meeting with people in person. You haven't had the chance to do that, which I'm sure, you know, some of that connection is is lost. But what are some of the opportunities now we have with, with this that we'll take even after the pandemic is over uh, to actually broaden the impact of your work and the extent to which people can be involved? For sure. I think the thing that's the most challenging is not having any serendipity in interactions. Like there's, I was talking with somebody just yesterday. I was like, they were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you've been there almost three months and we haven't chatted. And I'm like, you know, we would have run into each other at a thing. Like we would have been at a thing drinking coffee or having a beverage or whatever. Um, but it hasn't happened yet because of, because we're all in our basement. Uh, but we have to be so more intentional. Yeah, we're been, and in fact, that is advice I would give to anyone else starting any new position or internship or, or anything during this crazy time. And frankly, everyone just to get out of your own bubble and just even if it's one a week, 
try to have a 20 minute conversation on purpose with someone who is not in your regular circle uh, or, and so I've been doing that intentionally and going through and like looking at, okay, who do I want to connect with? I had a few of those this week. It was great. Another opportunity that I'm really interested to see, in fact, coming out of this, how much stuff do we realize it doesn't have to be in person yeah. that we can accomplish even more effectively online. I think something like the Rural Urban Connection is really valuable. Again, though, I, I have done a statewide visits and I have, vis I have done overnights and meetings in smaller towns and communities in different parts of the state. It is special. It is really special to be on Main Street, to stay in a hotel, to eat breakfast at the restaurant in town. That is important too. And <laughs> there's also a great opportunity to connect uh, virtually that makes it a lot easier. Another thing I have actually noticed in longer form workshops, especially with people who spend more time together, people can use the chat as a live processing of what's going on in the content of the workshop in a way that is really has blown my mind. People are actually like sense making of the material, asking questions, sharing examples, sharing links, saying, you know what this makes me think of? It's like another whole learning opportunity in the chat. <laughs> and so, I don't know how you recreate that in a live room. You certainly don't want everyone like on their dumb phone, like in some kind of chat, but um, yeah. So that's really been an interesting observation too. It link, it, this connects though to the challenge of broadband and lack of really reliable internet access in various parts of our state and many states. So that's gonna be a huge priority going forward as well. Absolutely. Well, the virtual community is something that that is really, um, not as rewarding, like you say, you'd much rather have yeah. the coffee up at the coffee shop. Uh, but then I wouldn't know what your dog sounds like, so. And you would that? <laughs> I would probably never bring her to a coffee shop, as much as I'd like to. But well, like in the time we have left, uh, I, I just want to ask you, if if someone is watching us right now, uh, you know, or in the future uh, when this is shown, and they want to get involved in the Citizens League, uh, how might they do that? What what are ways in which uh, folks uh, can get involved with, with the league? Yep. Join our mailing list. Get on our email and uh, direct mail list. It's the best way to just keep in regular contact. Uh, folks, you know, we always invite to support the league financially if that is within your means. Uh, it is investing in civic capacity of our state, investing in people having the sense of agency that they can be a part of being a policymaker, being part of creating a better civic future for our state. We have, uh, of course, a lot of events that come up and are available right now virtually to folks uh, who are interested on a lot of different policy topics that we're gonna be continuing. This Rural Urban Series is gonna be neat as well. Um, so that's a good way to keep in touch. We're on all the social media, of course, too. And so then I, I enjoyed some of the policy and the pints at some of the yeah. and you have to bring your own beer now if you do those. But well, you're, you're, you know, it's funny. I was just talking with Tom Weber about the last uh, three events that we had on on deck for that um, series that we're looking at in the first quarter of twenty one, and I'm like, should we even call it policy on tap? Like, it's not. It kind of lost something when you can't actually be a. Know? It's great content and um, and just a good way to stay connected. You're uh, muted. Yeah. Bring your own beer. BYOB. That's what we I said. Oh, so. yeah, I guess so. In my college days. Yeah. Well, 
Kate, you know, as we're ending here, I think it's easy for people to think, well, every state has a citizen's league, mm. you know, and and I did some quick research, but I didn't really need to do it because it simply isn't true. The citizen's league is, if not unique, it certainly is unusual in terms of of uh, its history uh, and in terms of its non-ideological, non-partisan event. In terms of the, the, the breadth of, of, of uh, people involved in it. Uh, speak to that uh, as, as we end this conversation. People need to know that the Citizens League is really a, a treasure and it's in many ways unique to our state. I've reflected on that too, having led the Humphrey Policy Fellows Program at the Humphrey School for the last 13 years as well. I love that program and I felt similarly that there was nothing like this in other parts of the state of the Washington and they'd be like I've never heard of anything like this there's definitely something special about Minnesota and about that sort of DNA that allows us to engage in those types of things with good faith I'm particularly proud that many of the organizations like Policy Fellows like Citizens League um, like others have been actively looking to be more inclusive and to have practices that bring in different perspectives and ideologies, different voices and lived experiences than in the past. And you, we have to, um, all, all of our organizations and projects need to intentionally bring folks in and look at our own practices of how we do things and, and question whether we need to, because we all do need to change certain ways that we, we approach work in order to not just bring more people to the table so to speak, but create a different table or don't use a table at all or whatever it is to try to make it happen. I, I think uh, we have the civic infrastructure right here in Minnesota and we just have to revitalize it. But we, we, we have the foundation mm -hmm. here that so many places don't have. Yeah. So I like to think that collectively and, and Val, I think one of the themes of this program um, really is that we, we have the ability uh, really to have a second Minnesota miracle. You know, you look back to, to um, you know, 40 years ago or so, folks talked about the Minnesota miracle. You know, why, why can't we be that place yeah. that works again? Why can't we be that place? We've got so much here that, that starts to get through this partisanship and, and connects people like we started this conversation and really be a model for the country. Uh, I'm enough of a dreamer. Uh, to think that we could do that here in Minnesota and that we have the tools to do it. Me too. Agreed. Great. <laughs> hey, thanks so much. It's really been a pleasure talking to you and, and we're thrilled to have your leadership of the Citizens League. And we hope to Thank see you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank this you. was really fun. It was good to connect with you both today. Likewise. Great. Thank you Thank so much. You.